You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning. Uh, my name is Dean, I'm the pastor here at City Church, and I just love stories like that. I'm so thankful uh, to hear Heath and Charity share their story about how they think through finances together as a couple, how their faith impacts and fuels that, uh, what generosity looks like for them. I'm just really thankful for them. And there's, uh, we're in a series called Let's Go right now where uh, we are really just trying to understand together what it means to be the people of God what it means to really be about the gospel and about God's mission, like having those two things drive us as a church family, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of what he came to do for sinners, and also his mission that he's called us to, to make much of his name in loving God and loving our neighbors. And there's something I've just been kind of thinking about, just kind of just wanted to share with you, I was thinking about it before I even came up, it's not even in my notes or anything like that, but I really think that one of the biggest barriers we have today to really sharing the gospel and making it known in our community is the disconnect a lot of people see between what Christians profess they believe and how they actually live. And I include myself in that. Just the inconsistencies regularly. Now part of our inconsistencies point us to our need for Jesus, so it's more evidence of the fact that we need Christ every day. But here's what I mean by that. I want my faith to mean something. Like I want it to actually matter. Not to be a good luck charm or, you know, some kind of just random moral compass make me feel better or something on a rainy day, you know, Jesus take the wheel or whatever. Yeah, I want it to actually mean something. Like what I believe to be true about Jesus Christ actually results in how now I live my life. Not to earn God's favor because I already have it. Not to earn God's love because he's already given it to me in Christ. And the reality is that salvation is free. There's nothing I can contribute to my salvation. I'm a sinner before God who deserves to be punished for my sins. There's not a good deed I can do to remedy that. Salvation is free. Jesus really did pay it all, as we sang earlier. But following Jesus is never cheap. It really does actually cost something. So this Let's Go series, when we're talking about what it looks like for us to go from our church, for the city, and to the world. And last week, I was thankful for Hunter Levine, our college pastor, who talked about the challenge of reaching the next generation like an opportunity, a challenge, I believe a necessity, an, an act of urgency. And if you weren't here last week, I'd love for you to go on our website or on iTunes and go to City Church Tallahassee and have the chance to listen to his message. Really important, really proud of him. He's a great preacher, really passionate, and uh, really is helping us and leading us in reaching the next generation. So I'm gonna pray, and then we'll jump in and uh, talk about the cost of following Christ, the one who gave much uh, so we could be a part of his family. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful you've given us the scriptures. What an amazing privilege. We actually have the words of our God available to us. Ask we'll be good stewards of that. We'll be faithful. I thank you for Heath and Charity sharing their story of generosity. I ask that we will see them as an example for us in our church family and, and do likewise. As Paul wrote, follow my example as I follow Christ. Lord, I ask that we will see them as people we can follow. And I ask that you keep the enemy out of this place today as we know that the enemy does not want the gospel to go forward in Tallahassee and across the world. Uh, So we ask that he stays out of these plans. We also ask that you be with all the churches in our community as they gather today, that those churches that do hold up the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it'll be clear and that people will understand who you are and what you've done for us. I ask that we will be found faithful uh, to the greatest message that's ever been told, and that is what you have done to redeem a people to yourself. We're thankful for all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14, and we'll be in Matthew chapter 8 a little bit towards the end. Here's what Paul writes, for the love of Christ compels us. What words? 
Like that's our motivation. That's what drives every area of our lives if we know Jesus. It's the love of God that compels us, that drives us, that leads us, that motivates us. Like that is our rallying cry. That really is what it's about, is the love of Christ. He says then, since we have reached this conclusion, now it's important that you know that Christians are a conclusion-reaching people. Yes, there's a lot of nuance in our world today. Yes, it's important to learn how to work through that. And there are things that are gray. There are things that are complicated that you need some humility to work through and understand and understand people's points of views. Something that is not nuanced, that is not neutral, that is not gray is that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the Messiah. We have reached this conclusion. In a world where it's not popular to reach conclusions, we have reached this conclusion of who he is and now what that actually means for us. Then he goes on to say this, we've reached the conclusion out of the love of Christ that compels us that one died for all and therefore all died. Like we believe the truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ actually came to die for sinners. Like he died for us and therefore all have died. What does that mean? means because of this life we've received from Christ, now we die to ourselves. Like every person who becomes a believer understands that they have died to who they used to be. And it's a little complex how it kind of works through to understand it, but we're told in the scriptures, one, we're dead in our sins, so we don't need just to kind of shape up or get better or try harder, like we actually need to be brought to life. So we have a spiritual birth that happens in us when we come to faith, that God initiates it, carries it through, makes it happen. Like he is the one that brings it all. That's why it's completely free. We don't do anything to earn that. But then we come to faith in Christ based on being made alive. We die to who we used to be, spiritually and practically. And it says in verse 15, and he died for all so that those who live, which means everyone now who knows Jesus, should no longer live for themselves. I think that's one of the toughest sentences in all the Bible because I am wired in my human self to want to live for myself. Yes, I've been redeemed, but that fleshly desire still lingers and will linger in me until Christ returns to make all things new. So what I have to do regularly is realize who I am, that I am not the person I used to be who only cared about me that I have died to that. It's a struggle, isn't it? But we're told, here's what the death of Christ accomplished, not just our salvation, even though first and foremost, that was the point, but a people who would live for God instead of ourselves. He says, not for ourselves, but he gives us a better option that we have to fight to actually believe is the better option, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Like that is our new reality. That he died so those who live will no longer live for themselves, but for the one who actually died for them and then rose from the grave three days later. So what's he saying? He's saying, here's what drives us. Not guilt, not shame, not pressure, but love. A love from God and a love for God. And that love is defined by the cross. When he talks about love, he immediately goes to the death of Christ. Since he died, it means that we have died to what he says in verse 15, died to living for us. 
Because God designed us to be satisfied in him, not ourselves. And what may seem like a burden or may seem like some tall task is actually extremely freeing for us because we were never made to be in awe of ourselves. We were made to be in awe of something far greater than us. And you look at anything that happens in this life that causes conflict, that usually, is driven, that usually sin resulted from, usually it's us wanting to live for us. Bonhoeffer wrote, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. To die to who we used to be. See, his love compels us to know that we make lousy gods, which results in a lousy form of worship. And that life with him really is better than anything this world could offer, even the really good things. But again, that's not natural thinking. Natural thinking is, I want to talk about me. I want to talk about I. I want to talk about number one, oh my, me, my. Like that's natural thinking there. We have to battle that every day, empowered by the Spirit, to remember that that's not who we are anymore. We have submitted to Christ. We have responded to the one in grace that has called us. J.C. Ryle, the great theologian, wrote this. It costs something to be a true Christian. So I guess if there's true Christians, there are, are, I assume there's false Christians, he's saying. He goes, let that never be forgotten. To be a mere nominal Christian, which means basically Christian in name only, and to go to church is a cheap and easy work. But to follow Christ believe in Christ and confess Christ requires much self-denial. William Willimon added this, the Christian life is only available to those who submit to its dismantling and rebirth, to repentance and death to self. And what we must fight to believe together is that God calls us to something far greater than just ourselves, but to actual life with him. Paul wrote this to the Romans. He said, don't be conformed to this age. And their age, just like our age, was me, me, me. He goes, well, be transformed. Remember, you've been made new, you've died to that. By the renewing of your mind, your thinking's changing. So you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And what is this good, pleasing, and perfect will? To follow Christ instead of ourselves. And he says in verse three, for by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Why? We were never meant to occupy that space. That does not mean you wallow around like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh and think you know, of yourself as this horrible, wretched, you know, non, no redeeming qualities whatsoever. You were made in the image of God. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You have a great value and dignity and worth, every single person in here. Like You matter to him. But the fact that you matter to him and he is your creator and that he has shown his love in Christ by redeeming a fallen people to himself should now lead us and drive us to say, God, more of you and less of me. And I'm a work in progress on this just like you are, I'm sure. Back to the text from 2 Corinthians. He says, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, what would that be? Maybe see him as a good teacher only a moral philosopher, maybe one of many religious leaders, they're all kind of the same, whatever fits best for you, like that kind of idea of a worldly perspective, maybe to someone who could do something for me, kind of a life coach, maybe some perks that are out there, because yet we no longer know him in this way. 
while we've been transformed, we've been changed, now we know him as he has made himself known to us, as the Lord, as the Messiah, as the Redeemer, the one who is worthy of all of our praise and worship. He says, therefore, since we don't think like the world anymore, since our perspective about God has been changed, therefore, remember this, he's saying, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Like new. God's in the renewal business. The old's passed away. And see, and this is an announcement, the new has come, he's saying to us. And my hope for you, if you know Jesus in this room, is that since God does not hold your past against you, that you'll stop holding your past against you? Remember, the love of Christ compels us. He has made you a different person. Yes, you have a story, and God's used that story, but that does not define you. Jesus defines you in what he's done for you. The old has gone, so keep holding the old over yourself. Like, you've been forgiven. You've been made new. How much have you been forgiven that Jesus gave his life so you would not see yourself that way anymore, but ultimately, so you'd be pardoned, forgiven of your sins. So my hope for you is that you will not just think about your brokenness, you'll also think about your redemption. It's really trendy kind of in a lot of kind of church culture today in terms of social media. I don't know if any of you follow that kind of stuff, but everything always just wants to talk about how broken we are. It's like we're all just broken, we're all just messed up, our brokenness, our brokenness, our brokenness. Okay, sure, but let's talk more about how redeemed we are, about what Christ has actually done for us, who we are now, not that we have become these great moral righteous people, but that Jesus has made us new people through his death and through his resurrection. The new has come, like it's here now. Live in that and believe that, but it was costly for that to be real. It cost Christ his life. So this town he's writing to, really not even a town, a city, very cosmopolitan, Corinth, a lot of life happening there, like very trendy, you know, like every other restaurant, like served like tofu casserole, I mean, like that kind of stuff. And if there was one word to kind of define this town, it would have been the word indulge. Indulge. Just consume, consume, indulge in all the things that are available to me. There was definitely faith present. He's writing to an actual church of actual people in an actual community. But oftentimes they could have enough religion to identify with the faith, but not so much where you might get inconvenienced at all. That following Jesus was nice, and that's great for you as long as it doesn't mess things up. Our way of life, our social status, any inconvenience whatsoever. Still maintain it, that good luck charm, you know, kind of, you know, keep it on your bookshelf, but don't let it mess with too much because the assumption was that all was for our consumption. All was for our consuming, including the benefits and the blessings of their idea of faith. Okay, just don't cost me socially, don't cost me financially, don't change anything in my way of life. Flannery O'Connor, the great Southern writer, wrote this, that what people don't realize is how much religion costs. They think faith is a big electric blanket when, of course, it is a cross. Now, I do believe that there's parts of God's character in our relationship with him where he does allow himself to be a figurative, warm blanket for us. He says those who are burdened can come to him. 
those who are heavy laden can come to him. Jesus said, let the children come to me. So I would say that that is an aspect of what God provides for us as our good shepherd, as our good father. He absolutely can be that for us. But ultimately, that's not how the faith functions. He's calling us to be people who see the cross and the resurrection as our symbol. Death to who we used to be, now new life in Christ to who we are now. That following Jesus was nice as long as it didn't mess things up. And what O'Connor is basically hinting at here is that, again, as I said earlier, salvation is free, but following Jesus is never cheap. Never cheap. And we have to make sure that we don't have a faith that suffers from first world problems. How many of you ever heard anyone talk about first world problems? It's like you're outraged because there's no Wi-Fi at your really nice hotel. You know, it's going to give you a nice breakfast and all that's like first world problems. You know, like, it's kind of the, like, things are the end of the world to us that really the rest of the world, they're like, man, that'd be nice to even have a place to live. You know, you know that kind of idea. It's easy for our faith to suffer from first world problems. It never really has any challenges. But don't get me wrong, and other people in this room have had many challenges in their lives, many. But often when it comes to our faith, it can be really easy to be nominal here in our town. Again, kind of head nod to Jesus. You're not an atheist. You're not an agnostic. You're not of another world religion. So we assume, oh, we're, we're Christians. And by that, we just kind of mean that, you know, come from a Christian family. Jesus is our buddy. You know, that kind of idea. Rather than Jesus being the one who has saved us and redeemed us to now go and live for Christ. I don't want to be someone who likes the idea of Jesus and faith without actually following Jesus and living by faith. And that idea of liking Jesus and wanting to personally identify with him but not actually following him and living for him is why in Matthew 8 we could see someone say this, teacher, like I'm all in, let's go. I'll follow you wherever you go. Like follow the leader, I'm in. In verse 20, Jesus told him, okay, great. Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests. But the Son of Man, who Jesus referred to himself, what the Old Testament pointed to, has no place to lay his head. Now this sometimes is misused as some kind of social justice verse to say that Jesus was homeless. This is not what this is about. This text here is saying, welcome to a life of living in a world that's not your home and costly sacrifice. In other words, kind of like, be careful what you wish for when you say you're going to follow me. And he keeps going in verse 21, if somebody else steps up, Lord, another his disciples said, again, the disciples, these people who were following him, who were, good, were in with him. First, let me go bury my father. I got some family things I got to tend to. Then I'll come follow you. Hey, that's noble. He has responsibilities. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Is he telling this guy he shouldn't care about taking care of his deceased father and the business of the family and that he should just shrug it off. That's not what's happening here. He's trying to help him to see there's no such thing as I'll follow you, but. And what I mean by kind of a first world faith, it's really easy for me all the time to say, I'll follow you, but. Like have that line in the sand. It's like, I'm with you, I'm good. Just let's not go here. Let's just not go too far. Lindsay Carlson, she wrote this, the kind of self-sacrifice to which we've been called doesn't come naturally. It really doesn't. It's in our fallen state, we're postured towards the world. We must be trained in it. We need to be discipled. 
May people help us what it means to follow Jesus. That's why our city groups, our Bible studies, our men's ministry, our women's ministry are, are worth your time. We must look to the cross and learn from the ultimate example of costly obedience, Jesus himself. Like if Jesus fully denied himself by going to the cross, despising its shame, as the scriptures say, why wouldn't he call us to now deny ourselves? And the reality is you can be a fan of Jesus quite easily from the stands, but never actually get in the game. And this big let's go initiative, really believing that God has something for us to set this church up now and for years to come, where the future pastors of this church way down the road when I'm long gone, can look back and go, wow, I'm not exactly sure what happened. All these people are dead now. I'm not sure what happened. But in 2022 and 23, they set this church up by God's grace to have generations of impact that our future church that he's pastoring at that time still benefits from in Tallahassee. I think about the original 15, 20 people who started this church 15 years ago and the work they did to allow this to be true now. Most of them don't even live in Tallahassee anymore. They live all across the country, actually, including San Diego, California. I mean, they're everywhere. But they gave their lives to make this a reality. It's easy to have vision excitement, but not financial agreement. It's like, man, that sounds awesome. Like, we need to double our missions giving and build a new children's ministry space and have a space for teenagers and, and up our giving to all our community partners here in Tallahassee and our next generation ministries. That is awesome. Let's go but I'm going to not go. It's raining. I'm going to watch the game on TV. Vision excitement and financial agreement need to be linked together. We had a thing back when, I told you this before a while back, but we had a thing back when uh, I played high school football uh, called T-shirt All-Americans. And T-shirt All-Americans were guys who, the, so there's always used to be, I'm not sure the rule is anymore, but when I was playing, there was a rule that you had to, it was like a state rule, you had to be in shorts and T-shirts and helmets for three days before you went into full pads. So those first three days, you're not hitting at all, you're just kind of running routes, doing agility drills, working out, that kind of thing. And there'd always be these guys that are in the t-shirt three days, that are like in the front of the line, and they're going first, and they're barking out loud, and they're making catches, and they're juking people on the field, and it's like, wow, these guys are really good. But then something happens when we came back on Monday after the weekend. We're in full pads. All of a sudden, Johnny McT-shirt is nowhere to be found. He's in the back of the line, usually quits about a week later, not barking anymore, gets banged around a little bit, which happens in football. He liked the idea of being on the team, but not actually having to play in the game when it was real football being played. I don't want to be someone who likes the idea of following Christ more than I actually follow Christ. And part of that's going to be me understanding there is a cost to this. And Jesus, we see in Mark 1, went to the Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Like that was the message. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. We could do like a three-year sermon series on what the kingdom of God is. Repent as in turn from your sin to God and believe the good news. They're linked together. Faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. If God's kingdom is about to come, he's saying, and we're lined up contrary to God's kingdom, then we need to Repent. And that is the response to the coming kingdom of God. So his call here is repent and believe. And it's actually humbling too because Jesus is saying, you know what? Your way of life is lined up the wrong way. 
And that's not ever easy to hear. So rather than indulge, as he told the Corinthians, the call on us is to reorient. Reorient our lives around the kingdom of God. What needs to change and by God's grace change? And it's easy to let fear or comfort or indifference keep you from reorienting your life, of having kingdom-minded obedience, and also keep you from storing up only treasures on earth rather than in heaven. And the cost applies individually and it also applies to a church. Our church does things that cost us. We give a lot of money away to international missions because we believe that the gospel is only good news that gets there on time. And there are countries all over the world that don't even have access to the gospel. They don't even have access. There's not churches on the corner with little cheesy signs, you know, little Christians saying, they don't have anything. They don't have Christian radio stations, and they don't have Christian cruise ships, and they have nothing. They have nothing. So we really believe that heaven and hell are real places where real people go, and we have to get the gospel to them. And the best ways we can do that here is by giving and by sending. Financially contributing and also sending people to the field. And making sure they have what they need from this church to be able to do that. And know that no matter what happens when they're on the field and when they come home, that this church has their back. And it takes money to do that. Because money is great commission ammunition. And it costs. It costs. I want to double what we're doing with missions. Not just me. I'm a member of this church from anything else. Elders of our church want to go forward with this. Our staff want to go forward with this. We want to double what we're doing. It also costs us in terms of what we talk about. It's costly to stand for the scriptures in 2022. It was costly to stand for the scriptures in the first century. Now, I'm well aware that we could probably have a bigger church in terms of people if we were a little more quiet or agnostic about things like the sexual revolution about actually following Christ rather than this world, about not obsessing over appearance and over followers and your brand and all that. I'm well aware. I'm well aware. You know how hard it is to grow a college ministry when you're serious about the Bible and unashamed? In this age, it's hard. But you know what our students we do have are serious about Christ. They're not perfect, they're serious. And they're trying to make much of Christ in a world that's very hostile towards it. But how interesting that churches that are denying the scriptures, many mainline Protestant churches are, are dying all over the country. But I do know, and it's, just, it's undeniable, that those who are just kind of neutral and just don't say anything are doing just fine. And we don't answer to crowds and to popularity, we answer to God. And I don't want to go to bed at night knowing we're compromising or ignoring the scriptures when this, this Bible is what brings life. This Bible is what brings truth. And we're not loving our neighbor if we're quiet about sin that wrecks your life, whether you realize it or not. Because in talking about sin, we're going to hold up Christ. Let me tell you, like the evangelical Bible-believing church is like the last institution standing. So we have to go all in with it. Now, God builds his church. We are definitely called to preserve our institutions. And the two institutions that he has given us are the family and the local church. And we should be figurative guns ablazing and making sure those are protected, those are clear, those are thriving, and that those things matter. 
my wife Chrissy and I are talking through, again, I'm a member here before I'm the pastor here, about what reorienting looks for us, looks like for us when it comes to our finances and how let's go can be a priority because we think the local church is God's plan. So we're going through our budget and we're getting ready to make a, you know, a serious commitment. I'm not, that's not saying look at me, that's saying I'm a member of this church. Chrissy's a member of this church because we believe that this really is God's design in the church. We want to do whatever we can to help it go forward. John Piper wrote this, there's no cost you can pay. This is helping me a lot, this quote. And following Jesus, that won't be made up a thousand fold in the resurrection. We have to be eternally minded. This, that quote's helped me through this whole process of going, wow, we're gonna, Christ is gonna return and make all things new one day and we're gonna realize that every single moment of it was worth it. Ray Ortland, this is a little, little, seems a little harsh here, but it's true. He says, if Jesus can bless you, but can't command you, may the real Jesus smash his way into your life. That's kind of a careful what you wish for. But how much we need that. There's an opportunity ahead of us to loosen our grip of this world and say, God, I believe you're better than anything this world has to offer. One of the first opportunities is this Thursday night to say, I'm in, let's go through our advanced commitment night. It's going to be a great worship service, but it's a special night that I think will be historic for our church and people will look back on for years to come to make our commitments and say, we're going. Then next Sunday, we'll still have a normal service next Sunday. I'll also have the opportunity to make commitments. And it's important for me that you know it's totally private. There's only going to be a couple people who see the commitment you make, and it's our finance people. Um, but would love for you to be here and also be praying for your church and this mission and the kingdom of God in Tallahassee and beyond. We want to be good stewards of what God has entrusted us with, the influence he's given our church, the position he's put us in. We want to be faithful and good stewards of that. And along with the other great churches in Tallahassee to say there's a great, tremendous need in this town. We want to be aggressive in meeting it. So let's do that together and realize that following Jesus interferes in your life and, the, there's, and it'll be make sense a thousandfold when Christ returns in the resurrection of, and renewal of all things. Hopefully many will be counted from Tallahassee and across the world on that day as a result of how God and his grace has let us be his co-laborers with this message. Let's pray together. Let's stand up. And we're going to sing some great news about Christ being worthy. Father, we are thankful for the good news of the gospel, that the greatest news of the gospel is you. And the greatest blessing you give us is yourself. Let us believe that. Or let us have a passion for Christ. I don't want to be indifferent about this. I want your love to compel me. That your love be the driving force of my life. I know I have so much growth and so much work to do. But I'm thankful you don't leave me alone, that you are working in me. The Spirit of God is in me and in any person in this room who claims the name of Christ. Lord, fill us with the Spirit so we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. I ask that this church, above all, will be passionate about Jesus. Forgive the indifference and apathy when it comes to faith in our town. Lord, let us be different because you have redeemed a people and made us new to make your glory known. Let us send more people, fund more missionaries, expand our next generation ministries, all because we believe that you died so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for Christ who rose again. That we won't regard you anymore from a worldly point of view, but that we'll remember that therefore anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Let us live out the reality of our new lives in Christ. We're thankful for it in the name of Jesus. Amen.